0: Well, all right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Man, is it good to see I missed you guys. Canceling last week, threw my whole week off. I didn't know if it was Saturday, Tuesday, Monday, so glad to get back in the routine of things. Glad to see everybody this morning. Uh, we begin this morning a brand new series entitled Flexing the Generosity Muscle. So it's a two-week-long series we begin this morning. And as we move into it, I just want to say up front, when it comes to generosity, uh, like if, I don't know if you were here two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we went through kind of a two-page bulletin point list that I had of the things that last year we did as the Livingstones Church because of the grace of God, but also through the generosity of this church. And so when I start talking about generosity, you need to know we have never had a leadership meeting where we got together and thought to ourselves... That livingstone's church they 're such a stingy people, and they 're just so selfish with their money there 's no rebuke in there there 's no chastising in this. I love you, I am proud of you, I know where we 've been, what happened last year, and no, it is because of your generosity. Having said that, I think well, there 's another step we could take, another uh, we can move forward in regards to our level of generosity so that 's what this is about, just taking another step as we begin a new year and moving forward and being more like Jesus and being more generous than we ever had before, and so that 's what this is all about now. In terms of generosity, have you ever thought to yourself, what makes somebody generous? Like, if you had to boil it all down, what are those factors that actually makes somebody move in a level of generosity? If you were to, you know, let's just say we're all on a spectrum, right? On when, one end of the spectrum, if you were to draw a line, you have somebody who's extremely generous, very generous. Their line. We're talking like Mother Teresa. We're talking about like Jesus himself, right? Now, I don't know how many would say, oh, that's where I'm at. I mean, I'm right there at that level. But let's just take that as an extreme. And then on the other side, you've got your Ebenezer Scrooge or the Grinch, right? This is somebody who isn't generous at all. Each one of us would fall somewhere along this spectrum. Somewhere along this line, we would fall. But the question is, but what makes us fall where it is that we fall within the spectrum? What makes us generous? Now, you'd be surprised to know that there have been a lot of studies done on what makes people generous. I had no idea, but I was preparing for uh, this message series. You could Google anything, right? I don't know how I wrote sermons before Google now. It's amazing. Uh, you can find sermons and so, but this is my own original, I promise. So uh, anyhow, the, you know, just what makes people generous, and there's several studies out there trying to examine what, you know, what are the factors, and I read one in particular, even Notre Dame had a big study on this, and what was interesting is in this study is it's trying to say the most motivating factor, the most influential factor in regards to people's generosity, what, what did not make the list were things that were interesting to me. For example, what did not make the list? How much money you had was not a factor whatsoever in your level of generosity, which meant you could be extremely rich, but that meant nothing because you could be the most selfish, stingy, rich person there is. So those who were poor and you would think, oh, well, they don't have much money, ended up being extremely generous in their life. And so money was not a factor whatsoever. The second thing, your stage in life had absolutely no factor whatsoever. That you could be completely stingy, even though you're, you're already grounded in your career, and your family, they have established, you know what I'm saying? Where, you know, sometimes you're newly married or you're just fresh out of college, you kind of have that, well, when I'm older and I have more money more income coming in, then I'll be a little bit more generous. None of that was true. Like, you could be older and still extremely self-centered and self-absorbed, or you could be fresh out of college and be very saf- self-sacrificial and very generous. Another thing, ethnicity and your cultural background had absolutely nothing to do with levels of generosity. Another thing, your upbringing, it did have a factor, but it wasn't a major factor in regard to you know, what kind of home you grew up in, what kind of what you saw in your parents. And the last thing that was really not on the list that surprised me and somewhat disappointing is your religious beliefs. Isn't that kind of sad? But it's, it showed that people's religious convictions, in the end, seem to have very little effect on whether or not people were very generous or not generous at all. And in the end, do you know what the single greatest factor of influence was in regards to generosity? You know what it was, the greatest factor? The people you hang out with. Your friendship group, your social network was the greatest significant factor in determining whether somebody was generous or whether somebody was selfish. And then I started thinking about it. You, know, you kind of come to the end and go, Really? Like the, guy, the people I hang out with, that's what decides. But then I started thinking about my own life, and every time I have taken any step of generosity, when I think about it, it was encouraged by those who were my closest friends and those who were in my friendship circle. That those moments when I've stepped out and done something generous that I probably would not have done, it's because those around me were doing those same things and encouraged me in those same habits. I remember when we first moved back to South Bend, Indiana 14 years ago, my wife and I, we had a little six-month-old uh, Isaac at the time, uh... I remember in terms of uh, Kelly and I were giving, uh, when you know, the craze would come around, I'd throw in my token $20 bill, which, you know, if I were making $12,000, I guess that'd be great, but I mean, I was making more than that, but that's just kind of, that was my habit. And I remember one day I was talking to one of my best friends, Lee Camp. He was working on his PhD here at Notre Dame. He lived in the White House right next door to us here at the church, the White House. And uh, I don't remember what we were talking about. I don't remember what he was, he wasn't listening, he wasn't bragging. He wasn't like, I tithe, I mean... We were just having this simple conversation. Remember, he talked to me in such a way that assumed that I probably tithe, that I was probably generous in my life habits and in my money and and investing in the kingdom of God. And the truth is, I wasn't at all. But when I left that conversation with him, it was that moment where I thought, yeah, why Why am I not more like Lee? Why am I not doing those sorts of things? And so really, leaving that conversation and thinking about it, it was for me that moment I finally stepped out in faith and decided to tithe by way of just my normal discipline and practice. But it didn't come because I heard a fantastic sermon, as you're about to hear this morning. (laughs) It happened because of, yeah, the friendship groups that I were in, the significant factors. uh, That was the most significant factor because the opposite has been true in my life as well. Like when I've been in a friendship group, where they were more kind of consumeristic by way of mentality, and they were interested in buying newer cars and nicer cars and having all the latest gadgets, then I'd get back in my 2000, you know, my, my 1996 Toyota Camry with 250,000 miles in it, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, I'd like that. I don't even I've still got a cassette player. Who who listens to cassettes? Nobody listens to cassettes. I, You see what I'm saying? Like when they were interested in buying buying and building bigger houses or having nicer clothes, all of a sudden there's something about that that kind of catches your spirit. The next thing you know, those thoughts become your thoughts. You become influenced in ways that that you weren't otherwise. And so in the end I thought, yeah, it really is true that who it is that you hang out with, your friendship circle has a great deal of impact and influence on how generous you are. And I'm telling you, even when you step into a circle of generosity, there's just something in it that feels infectious. It feels contagious. And you find yourself wanting to do it as well. And if you ever, uh, uh, there's a Liberty Mutual commercial. This is just a 30 second commercial. I want you to see it. Have you seen the Pay It Forward one, you know, where like they're rescuing everybody because they see it? Well, take a look at those commercials. See what This is the effect of you see generosity, and if there's something in that triggers in you the desire to do the same thing. I'm not sung Liberty Mutual, and I'm not getting paid, but here, here it is. There. And I don't know, is this the part where you When it's people who do the right thing, they call it being responsible. When it's an insurance company, they call it Liberty Mutual. Responsibility. What's your policy? Liberty. Mutual. Yeah, see, I mean, this sermon moment brought to you by Liberty Mutual. No, I mean, I, I don't know. Which <laughs> was well, weird to show commercial. Like, I'm really not trying to sell that. I don't know. But you see the point, right? There's something infectious and contagious about generosity. Anyone ever see the movie Pay It Forward? You ever see me? fantastically, right? A little boy, 12-year-old boy, who has this dream and this vision that he's going to do something nice for three individuals, and then they're going to be challenged to pay it forward, to do something nice to three other individuals. And in this one town and community, a massive movement breaks out by way of generosity, by this idea of paying it forward. And what the statistics tell us, what the studies tell us is that is most affected by friendship groups and by those who you hang out with, which then leads for us this morning to ask the question, well, what if you're in Jesus' group? Like, like, what if you're in Jesus' friendship group in his social network? Like, you friended him on Facebook, right? So you he is in your social network. What does that mean for us? Because if we had to ask the question, and this might be unfair. If we were in another arena asking this question, maybe we'd get different answers. But if I were to throw out the question, who is the most generous person who's ever lived on the face of the earth? I think we'd say Jesus, right? I mean, you could throw out... Bill Gates, I mean, he's got billions, and he gives a lot away, and maybe, you know, Warren Buffett, not to be confused with Jimmy Buffett, right, that's another, that's the Margaritaville, don't want to hang out with him, I guess, sometimes, but the... Mark Zuckerberg, if you know, a movie is going to come out about Facebook, maybe give away some good money. I mean, there's some generous people out there, but out of everybody, in terms of the totality of generosity, by way of how they treat other people with great generosity, that they would self-sacrificially give of themselves to the point of, oh, I don't know, death, maybe taking on everybody's sins that we might be free. That's pretty generous, don't you think? And so if we're fought, if being with a friend of a group is one of the most significant things in making us more generous. If he is G- at the center of our social network, if he's at the center of our circle of friends, then what would that mean for us by way of how we grow into terms of level of generosity? Because even if we throw out other names, like Mother Teresa, right, is she generous? But who was she inspired by? Jesus. And so I wonder when I think about the 12 disciples, think about this, 12 men who hung out with Jesus night and day for three years. Like, was that infectious was that contagious? Like, did they come out of that experience more generous? Were they changed in some way because they got to hang out with the Son of God who was so supremely generous that they couldn't help but be generous? And we know at least 11 out of the 12, I'm going to say they were. That at least 11 out of those 12 came out with greater generosity. In fact, like Jesus, they will give their entire life for the sake of God's kingdom and his purposes and the church. And the only one who didn't, remember, Judas. But we know about Judas is he was stealing the money. Did you know that? And maybe that's why, he, in the end, he betrayed Jesus. Maybe he just was offended by his level of generosity and turned on him at some point. I don't really know. But over time, what you see is that the disciples that hung out in Jesus' circle, they became more generous. And as we see it, we watch them in terms of their own leadership and ministry. Do you remember when they start the church in Jerusalem? We can start to read it in Acts chapter 2. And if you remember two weeks ago, we read a little glimpse at the end of Acts 2 about what their life was like. And what you see is... That Even in terms of private ownership, their own possessions, none of them thought anything about it. It was more about the needs of the community and what needed to happen. And if there was a need that needed to be taken care of, they would sell a piece of property or sell a particular possession and freely and joyfully and gladly give what they needed to. And so what you see is Jesus' generosity. They just, it just rubbed off on the disciples and it rubbed off on the early church. And I think this is, the reason why this is true is because Jesus, when you hang out with him, his primary and central concern is your heart. Uh, His primary and central concern, when you just kind of, when you hang out with Jesus, when you follow after Jesus, He's going to go right after your heart because He wants you to have a heart that is fully devoted to His Father. And so in that, and and you hear a lot about this in terms of, uh, you know, you have churches that they encourage people to say the sinner's prayer and then you invite Jesus into your heart. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that? Where, dear Jesus, why don't you come and live in my heart? I I would say theologically, some of that's kind of whack. And and let me tell you why. Uh, Because, I think we have a tendency within our heart to have lots of different compartments, right? We've got our workspace and our family space and our money space and our free time and recreation space, and, and it's kind of compartmentalized. And we don't mind Jesus having a, and then we want Jesus to come in and have a little, a little room within that heart, right? He could come in my little Jesus compartment. And so I get to live my life with my money life and then my work life and then my family life, and I get my Jesus life, and Jesus come and live in my heart. But I'm telling you, Jesus isn't interested in that at all, right? Jesus does not want a little compartment within your heart, does he? No, he wants to rip out your old heart and give you a brand new one that reflects his. And so for Jesus, his central concern in your heart, not is it not that he gets to be invited to come and live in your already existing heart? But no, I'm going to switch it out for an entirely different one. And so when people hang out with Jesus, that becomes his central concern. And if we're going to hang out with Jesus, then we need to be concerned with the condition of our heart. Now, hang with me spiritually. Let's think about the spiritual for a moment. Think about Jesus as that spiritual cardiologist, right? We've been having some spiritual chest pains, maybe some, I'm not going to go through the symptoms because then you'll have them. If you don't, I'll have them because my OCD will kick in, it'll be bad. So I'm not going to go through it. But I think it's important for us to have moments where we reflect on the condition of our heart. Like where we have moments where, in fact, when we ask God, would you reveal to us the true condition of our hearts, like what we really think and how we really are? And for me, those moments usually come in a time of prayer and fasting and solitude because I talk so much and love to be engaged with so many different things. I won't ever ask the question, well, what's going on in my heart until all that can be ripped away and I'm kind of alone and isolated and in solitude. But in those moments, sometimes God will give you a glimpse for, oh, I really am like that. That really is in my heart. I know that's really how I treat people. And and all of a sudden, those things come up. Now, listen to me. Your temptation and Satan will come along and will try to make you feel, like, overwhelmed and shame about that. But you need to know, oh, no, 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 no. Don't be overwhelmed and shame by it. It is God's grace and mercy. When he begins to, in a very, and it will be a loving way, when he begins to reveal those things that are in your heart, that means he still loves you, he still cares for you, and he's not giving up on you, right? Because the only alternative is for God not to reveal those things to you, which means... He's just, you're on your own, right? And so it's okay to go, be, even the Psalms give us this language. The psalmist will say in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, this is his prayer. says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's okay, it's okay to go before God and to ask for Jesus, our spiritual cardiologist, to kind of run some tests to give us a battery of tests to find out what the condition is of our heart. So let's find that for just a moment. If Jesus were to figure out what how is our heart doing, what would be some of the things he would do to kind of test that out? You know, if you were to go to the cardiologist, right, uh, go to go to the hospital, they would run probably a stress test. You have to get on a treadmill, and they'd hook up all those little sticky things to your chest, right, and then if you've got a lot of chest hair or back hair, you know, not me. I'm just saying if you do, I mean, right, and then, They do the sort of EKG, and they do all those sorts of tests. And so the question becomes, what are the tests that Jesus would run? What would be the the diagnostic categories that Jesus would have for us to determine the condition of our heart? And I could give you one that Jesus gives us explicitly in his word. You want to know what it is? It's all about money. It's all about Like, Jesus knows, if you're asking him, will you test me and test my heart and search my heart, one of the areas that he will immediately go to because he knows it will be an accurate reflection of the condition of your heart is your money. And in that, there are lots of things in the Bible that could be hard to understand. And I get that, right? 2,000 years later, different language, different time, different culture. But let me read you something that Jesus says that is just as easy, it is as simple and easy to understand as anything there is in Scripture. It comes out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. This is what he says. Where your treasure is there your heart will be also. You know, what he's saying? you know what he's saying here? That all you have to do is take a look at the money, take a look at the financial spreadsheets, and that will give you an accurate reflection of the condition of your heart and where your heart is, right? So if you were to go and learn the Greek language and really study all about the days of Jesus in Palestine in the first century and read this again, you know what it's going to tell you? That your heart will be a major condition, a factor of how well you're, in terms of money, in terms of how well your heart is doing. And so in that, if you were to take a look, just lay out your whatever bank you use, and you get your little bank account or your credit card statements, if you were to lay that all out there, in the end, you would be able to get a pretty accurate reflection of where your heart is before God. It would tell you whether you are a generous person or whether you're not generous at all. Whether you are devoted to the things of the kingdom of God or whether you're entirely self-absorbed. It would tell you whether you are a wise person or whether you are a foolish person. It will tell us whether you are sacrificial in nature or it will tell us whether you're selfish. Because your checkbook doesn't lie, your checkbook will reveal your priorities. It will reveal what is the most important thing in your life. And listen, I know everyone gets nervous when we start talking about money. Like I get that, right? I mean, nobody wants to talk about money, even at church. I mean, nobody wants to talk about money. Everyone gets kind of nervous about it. Money is for us the great taboo. We don't want. I mean, we'd rather talk about our sex lives than money. I, I promise. I mean. Uh, let, for exa- turn to your neighbor and tell them how much money you make in a year. Go ahead. Let's just do it a little- Yeah, see, so you don't want to do it, do you? Nobody wants to do it. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them how much credit card debt you have, right? Who, who wants to go for that? Yeah, see, one wants to do that. You're like, no, I'd rather talk about my sex life. <laughs> see, so... But Jesus isn't nervous about it at all. In fact, he, he talks about it all over 800 times. Jesus talks about money and possessions and how that reveals the condition of our heart. In fact, he talks about it more than love itself, which is strange. But there it is. And I know churches get critiqued about all they're interested in is your money and they just want to take your money. Listen to me, listen to me. No, no, I promise that's not it. We just want to be faithful after following after Jesus. And we know if we're going to follow after Jesus, that will mean he'll give us a heart of generosity. And If we have a heart of generosity, we'll change the world, won't we? It will change the world. And so it's really just about well, what does it look like for us to move deeper into the life of Jesus. And I'm not trying to be offensive here, I, I mean, I, but I do want to at least throw out there the possibility that if you, if just as you go through your money and your financial statements, I think in the end it's possible that your level of generosity is actually an indicator that you aren't in Jesus' social network or the group that you think you're in. I mean, it's easy to get up and say, oh, no, I'm following after Jesus. It's easy to sing those songs. But when you pull out the checkbook, I'm telling you, I think based on that, for some of us, we, it, that might be an indicator that we aren't living in the same social network and group and friendship circle as Jesus as we thought we were. And it's not because he's not invited you. It's not because he doesn't want you in there. It's just we become so self-absorbed of following after different things that the next thing you know, we become people that Jesus never intended us to be and ungenerous in that. And so maybe this morning our first step back to generosity is if we never had before to enter into that network of Jesus. It just might be my first task is to hang out with him, to immerse myself in the stories of the Gospels, to see how his own heart exudes in generosity. And I'm telling you, if you'll just, as we enter into New Year, if you'll just commit yourself to going after Jesus with everything that you are, it will in the end raise in your heart your ability, your level of generosity. And you might start out as close to the Grinch, but on that spectrum, you'll move closer to him, I promise and so in that, when we give our life to Jesus and we hang out with him, he'll start to change our heart, and in that, there'll be an exchange of our money, right? There'll be a, a rate of return, there'll be an exchange rate that takes place. I don't know if you've ever been to a foreign country, and you've had, you know, you bring your American dollars, but now you're in Europe, so now you get euros, and, and so you've got to change that in, right? So a certain amount of money you get back, if you go to Canada, you get the funny Canadian money, isn't that kind of weird? I don't know. Anyhow, so anyhow. The same thing happens in terms there's a conversion rate, there's an exchange rate. When we give our life to Jesus, He converts our money, allows us to still use it, but He converts it for the uses and the purposes of the kingdom of God. And when He hands it back, He does so with hearts that are now generous. Now, if we know this is true individually, let me at least ask in terms of the Living Stones Church I would think it should be true for us collectively. That if you hang out here with us, you should become a more generous person. Isn't that what we want? Like we want to reflect Jesus in such a way that nobody could show up at the Living Stones Church and hang out with us and it be a a mask and a disguise for a lack of generosity. That we want at the Living Stones Church to have such a level of generosity that if all the research is true, that it's your your, your relational networks, your friendships that kind of increase the level of generosity, that when they enter in this place, that they'll become more generous. That there's something about us that's contagious, and it's infectious, and it calls us to a different thing, and to a different place, to a greater place. And we don't want to be one of those churches that lacks generosity or covers over it, that doesn't bring any challenge whatsoever to living a life in Jesus, that in the end, I could still be the same selfish person week in, week out, not giving any thought to anybody else. In the end, I'd like us to have a reputation. And you know, churches have reputations, right? Right? like like they do, like over time in communities, you could throw out the name of a church and things will come to mind and they might be different for, you know, different things come to different minds. But I bet if we all gather together as a group and just kind of, all right, what's the reputation of this church? I bet it'd be interesting how in common they are because churches truly have their own character, they have their own personalities, they have their own stories and in it their own reputation. And I'm telling you, the Living Stones Church has a reputation and we want to guard it. We want to make sure it's a good reputation. We want to make sure that it reflects Jesus' reputation. Because it reminds me, in the first century, back in the days, you got the churches in Galatia, and you got churches in Corinth, you got churches in Thessalonica. But one of the churches, the Macedonian church, they had a reputation. And you know what the reputation was? It was about their generosity, and they became famous. And stories about the Macedonian churches were told around the other churches. In fact, Paul helps make them famous because Paul will write letters to other churches and he'll use the Macedonians as his illustration and his example. Let me give you, in fact, if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to show you here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is going to write to the Corinthian church, but he's going to use by way of illustration the Macedonian churches that he wants to say to the Corinthians, do you see how generous they are? Do you see what's going on in their life? And in, and in their church, and yet he will use them as, but look how generous they are. Look where their hearts are. So let me just read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning verse 1. It says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, I think this is important. Paul does not attribute the Macedonian generosity to they were disciplined. He doesn't attribute uh, the Macedonian uh, generosity to they had a lot of money. He didn't attribute it to anything other than the grace of God. See, they were overwhelmed by the grace of God. They truly understood the power in their lives, the mercy and the grace they've been shown in their life because of Jesus, and it welled up. And so they knew grace from beginning to end was the reason and motivation for generosity. So let me, let me go on here, verse 2. This is, out of the most severe trial, so, so you got to appreciate the context. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Did you catch that, the Macedonians where they're living? They're not living on on the wealthy side of the tracks. They're not living in the the wealthy subdivision. They're in extreme poverty. They're going through extreme trials, and yet they have an overflowing joy. There's something that's going on in their life that's wanting them to be generous. Verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and really even above their ability. Like even Paul knows. I, I mean, I imagine Paul, as the Macedonian churches are trying to be a part of what Paul is doing and being generous, I can picture Paul going, are you sure you're okay? Are you sure this is okay? I mean, you ever done with somebody? Like you see somebody being so generous, like, are you sure you're going to be okay? I mean, you Are you going to be able to eat tomorrow? And they gave well beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And I like that, that idea of like, no, they begged us, not like, Crap, here's the tray. I got to give something. You, right? You've been there, felt that? Here comes that chicken bucket. I think they want me to put money in. No, they were begging for the opportunity to be a part of what was going on in Paul's ministry. Verse 5 And they did not do as we expected, but they, they gave it themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So then we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, but just as you excel in everything, listen to the Corinthians, just as you excel in everything, right? In faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, also see that you excel in this grace of giving. What do you say? I want you to also excel in generosity. Hey, listen, I'm not commanding you, but I want listen this, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, hang on to that verse for just a minute, because that's interesting, isn't it? What Paul's saying here is I think what he's saying is anyone can sing the songs, anyone can say the phrases that we're I mean, anyone can say, No, I love God, I love Jesus. I mean, really, I, I love. What Paul's saying here in verse 8, look, I'm not commanding you, I'm just trying to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it even to the Macedonian Christians. You say you love Jesus. Here will be a moment where that will actually be manifest in a way that makes it, makes sense, that we'll actually be able to see it. And more than just talk, more than just saying this, here's the... An, and so I'm telling you, I think based on verse 8, you can accurately say how much you love God and how much you love Jesus is reflected in your level of generosity. And thus, if you are not generous, if you are a self-absorbed, non-generous person, then what it reveals is you don't love God nearly as much as you say you do that you are not devoted to Jesus as much as you think you are. And so he goes on in verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sakes became poor, that, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And so here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be, just as it's written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. See, that was the, the Macedonians had a reputation. They were they were the church of gener- They were a church that was generous, and that's what we want for us. W- wouldn't it be great if just if Jesus bragged about us like that? If he sent word to the other churches through stories. Did you hear about the level of generosity of the Livingstone? Did you hear about Livingstone's church? I'll tell you what. You should see them. They're not. They are not the richest church in town. I mean, really, they. They don't live on that side of town, and they're probably they don't they're not in the most affluent side of town, although it's the best side of town. <laughs> and if you just walk through the parking lot, look at the cars they're driving. I mean, come on! I mean, you get a glimpse right there. No, not you, I mean, you've been in parking. You're like, well, a lot of rich people go here, not here. I mean, no, no, there is a 1996 Toyota Camry with 250,000 miles sitting right out there. You put the whole, all three services, you put them all together, I don't even know if there's a handful of people in this church who are making six figures a year. Seriously. I mean, I know I don't know all your incomes, and you've not. I mean, but if I had a guess, I, I would say maybe a handful, I mean, we are just not what you would call a wealthy church. Is that fair? Is that fair? There's no sugar daddies in this. This is with Jeff Gritton's language. There's no sugar daddies in the Livingstones Church. We're all, we're all kind of in the, in the same boat here, I, I, I don't think our the homes that we live in, we're probably gonna be in the Michiana Prada homes this year. They're not coming to our house. But you should see how that church gives to the children on the south side of South Bend. Like you should see. What they're able to do and their level of generosity when there's a thousand students that could use hats and mittens and books and Christmas stuff like that. I mean, and you you should see the level of generosity when there's something that happens in the neighborhoods in our community. You should see how they sacrifice and how they give and how they how they don't even. It's like almost an infectious, contagious thing. It's those are the stories we want, isn't it? That's what we want to be told. That's the reputation we want to have, and that's what we want to hear. Not just like from other churches. But from Jesus Himself to say, I can trust them with the things of my kingdom because of the generosity of their heart. And if we want that, if that's where we want to be, then we're gonna have to shape up. Let's go back to our metaphor, flexing the generosity muscle. It is a muscle, and we'll talk more about this next week. But you know, muscles. Once you start getting, when you start exercising, I mean, you got New Year's. How many got New Year's resolutions to kind of lose some weight and kind of starting to get some muscles going again? The same thing could be true about generosity. We begin to flex those muscles. We're going to need a scheduled appointment with Jesus, our spiritual cardiologist, and just say, we need to check up on our heart, and we need you to give us the prescription to how to make it healthy and how to, to go the long run in regards to generosity. And then in that, as we continue to follow after him, to hang out with him, to be in his network, to be in his friendship group, he'll rub off on us in a way where his generosity will be contagious and infectious to us. It will take us to another level. And that's where we want to go, just to another level of generosity. So we're going to, I'm going to close here, and we're going to sing a song together. And then after that, some fake gold-plated trays, so just so you know when they come by, you go, oh, they got gold trays here. No, it's all fake, fake. <laughs> but here's a chance for you to exercise some generosity. And let me say this up front. Listen, there are lots of ways you could be generous. This, this is not a Give more money to the church. Although I'm not opposed to that, but that's not what this is about. Like you could be generous in lots of ways. So whether you're going home and being generous within your neighborhood, your your work context, your family I don't I don't care how that heart of generosity overflows. But I do want you to know you're about to have an opportunity in a moment. We're going to sing a song, and then those fake gold plated trays are going to come by, and it'll be a moment for you to exercise generosity, and it'll be a moment where Jesus will get a glimpse of the condition of our hearts. Now, hear me say that for a moment. Listen. Let, it will be a moment for Jesus to catch a glimpse of the condition of our hearts. Uh, don't be intimidated by that. Don't be overwhelmed by that. But it really is true. There, there's a story in the Gospels that are told of Jesus. He's at the temple, and he's watching people give, which is strange, isn't it? Because I was always taught in church, don't, you don't watch anybody. It's just none of your business. Don't look at what anybody else is giving. And so, uh, like Jesus, this morning, I'm going to watch what you give. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Just joking. It's a joke. But there's a story in the gospel where Jesus is watching people give, and so it's interesting to me. So if you're coming up and into the treasury, dropping the drop of money in the treasury, and and all of a sudden this widow shows up to give her offering, and it says in the text, it's just two small copper pieces, that's it. It's, it is small, it is inconsequential, it cannot sustain the budget of the temple at all. I promise you, it, it would have felt in the in the percentage of things, no one would have noticed. No, nobody would have paid any attention to the, at this moment. But Jesus noticed. And here's why Jesus noticed. Because you probably had wealthy Pharisees who were dumping, d- dumping a, a whole load of cash. And you had wealthy individuals who were giving a whole lot. And none of them impressed Jesus. Like, d- Jesus didn't go, wow, did you see the size of that check? N- nothing like that. When his widow showed up, what Jesus saw was she has absolutely nothing and she gave all that she had. And it was such a powerful illustration for him of generosity that the first thing he does is he calls all his disciples together and he points to this widow and tells them what she had done. And he admonishes them to be just like her. And in this moment, as we kind of have a chance to give, it will be that moment where Jesus gets to see a reflection of our heart, where we, our heart, through action, communicates to God whether we really are willing to trust him. Because this is a, this is a moment of faith. Because any time, and I know, because I, I live it, Anytime you try to step out and to act in generosity, I'm telling you, if you don't create these thoughts yourself, Satan will come around and help you. But then you'll start going, well, if I give this, well, how am I going to do this? And how am I going to pay this? and how's? I mean, all those what-ifs start to come up. And what if my furnace breaks this week? And what if my brakes go? I mean, and, and every, every catastrophe that's possible enters your mind at the moment you're wanting to be generous. And in that, it is an act of faith and trust That I can be generous in the likeness of Jesus, and know God in the end will still take care of me. That I will still lack nothing. And there's a there's a common passage that's always quoted on these kind of messages out of Malachi chapter three verse ten. What's interesting is God never really says to us, "No, test me. Go on. I'm open for a test. You should test me." Except when it comes to money. And in Malachi chapter three verse ten, God says, "Bring to me the full tithe and see." If I won't throw open the doors of the storehouse and provide for you and make sure... And, and, he'll, and he says, you could test me in this. And so this morning, if you need to, give God a test. If, if God fails this test, then you can go back to being Grinch, and you can go back to being self-centered and self-absorbed. Right, cause, but I'm telling you, if you step out in faith and test God on this, I think he's going to pass this test, test and we want to prove to be obedient. So this morning, in this moment... May you get a good report back on the condition of your heart and the condition of your level of generosity. And if not, may you leave this morning encouraged to want to move forward into greater health and to flexing greater muscles of generosity. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to work in our heart like that. Father, we come to you, and we want to be overwhelmed by your grace. And so I ask right now that you would, I mean, really, right at this moment, with the spirit that you have dwelling in each one of us, that you would overwhelm us with a revelation of your love for us. That even though we can't even begin to communicate and articulate, or even to paint a picture of how deep and how wide that, that love is, in some way, just as your spirit touches our spirit, we want to know how crazy in love you are with us, and what that's meant for us in regards to rescue, and mercy, and grace, and forgiveness, and forgiveness that there is absolutely nothing we have ever done. There is nothing that we will ever do that will ever separate us from that love. Nothing. And that's what we want to be overwhelmed with. And in that, we wish to freely exchange our old heart, for a new heart, one that looks like your son Jesus. And in that heart, to be full of generosity. And so this morning, uh, we want to take another step. Would you just lead us in the path of generosity. Lead us to be more like your son. Give us the faith and the trust and the courage to step out and to be generous as you are generous. Forgive us for those moments when we have been self-absorbed, when it's been all about us, or even when fear has crippled us or paralyzed us from me, from being generous. But I ask this morning that you'd set us on a right path. Lord Jesus, we want to be in your network. We want to be your friend. We want to be your servant. We want to be with you, following you. Lead us, we ask, in Jesus' name.